Hey, hey, welcome in. This is Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. No funny, witty opening to start. We, we couldn't come up with anything this week to start the show, so we're just jumping right in. <laughs> I'm Adam Taylor, joined as always by the giggling duo of Jason Anderson and Ben Bromley. We're all from blackandredunited.com, where you can find us writing about DC United, Major League Soccer, the U.S. national teams, and whatever else catches our fancy. Tonight, we are talking about DC United's roster and uh, some of the various things that will be happening to it, uh, including the expansion draft and, and the dispersal draft from Chivas USA. In fact, we're going to have Alicia Rodriguez from the GOAT Parade come in and talk with us about the dispersal draft and who DC United might expect to pick up with the fourth pick in that. We're also going to look forward to the MLS Conference Finals New York versus New England and LA Seattle. Uh, we will close the show with that. Before we get to any of that, though, Ben Bromley, what are you drinking tonight? So I was running very late, and so I just went to my liquor cabinet and grabbed the first thing that my hand touched, and it was Old Granddad Bottled and Bond. That was lucky that it wasn't some mixer or something. Yeah, the second thing that my hand bounced off of after it had grazed Old Granddad was uh, straight amaretto, so I'm glad that granddad was the first thing. You know, I think you're lying. I think you touched the amaretto first and chose to go with the old granddad. The world will never know. It's a game for playing yourself. You can break the rules if you want. Now I kind of wish you had just chosen the amaretto. (laughs) Jason, what are you drinking tonight? Uh, It is cold. Uh, The weather kind of is terrible now, all of a sudden. Mm -hmm. It's nice down here. Really? Oh, man. It's in the, it was in the 60s today. Just rainy. You jerks. Um, this is how the South will rise again, with slightly better weather. For, for some of the time. Yeah. Until it gets hotter. Um, well, right now it's, it's, uh, it's Porter weather. Um, and I don't mean Kyle Porter, I mean... Um, Although he's Canadian, he probably does prefer the cold. Yeah, probably. I mean, there's not a warm part of Canada. There's no part of Canada... I mean, I guess there's a... Richmond, Maryland situation there as well. It's just all of the people are freezing. It's just how how much they are freezing. Um, but I, I have, um, speaking of Maryland, I have their uh, Duclaw Brewery's Sweet Baby Jesus, uh, the chocolate peanut butter porter, uh, which is, it remains excellent. Uh, I'm, I'm not really sure exactly how they got the peanut peanut butter flavor to come out of this beer, but it's awesome. I know that so much. It actually does live up to the Sweet Baby Jesus name. Yeah, it it will surprise you. Also, at six point five percent, so you don't really realize you're you're um, it's not a super high alcohol beer, but it, you know it's high enough. Sure, uh, I'm continuing my my. I don't know if I can call it a trend because only one previous incident. I'm con- I, I'm continuing my choice of of choosing New England beers because we are all revs now, and I'm drinking we're, we're Burlington Comets and Meteors. At least I am. I'm rooting for comets and meteors to hit stadiums. Yeah, sinkholes, sure. Yes, sinkholes, those are good too. Yeah, there's less collateral damage to uh, innocent bystanders like the entire world with a sinkhole than there is with a comet. You know, just saying. Uh, So I have Burlington, Vermont's uh, Magic Hat Brewery. Their winter seasonal is a hoppy brown ale, and it's it's nice. It's, It's... a brown ale that's not too malty because it's got lots of hops in it, but it still has the malt there. 
which is which is nice. All right, let's get to it, guys. Uh, expansion draft. We now understand a little bit more than we did last week about MLS expansion draft rules for this year. We know that homegrown players that are on the senior roster instead of the supplemental roster will have to be teams have to choose whether to protect them. They will not be automatically protected outside of the list of 11 that every team gets. We know that uh, the X minus three rule for internationals is still in effect. You have to uh, so many internationals. DC United, it turns out, only has two international players because Fabiana Spindola got a green card, and apparently so did Nana Atacora at some point. So Kyle Porter and Samuel Inkum are the only international players. United has to protect one of them. Uh, they can't leave both exposed. Uh, I'm sure there are some other things, but I don't know who really wants to listen to all of those. So I think... Everyone loves MLS Minutia. It's it's true. I, I mean, there's a reason Byzantine is a word we all know and love in this league. Um, that's, that's how you draw people into being fans. Uh, you don't say, like, it's cool to watch soccer in your, your area and go to games for real. It's, are you interested in paperwork and, and complicated rule processes that may or may not change at any given time? And the ins and outs of single entity? You want to be where every fan has to be a capologist? <laughs> Boy, have we got something for you. Uh, let, let's go through the actual bits to be protected. We know that, that every homegrown on United's roster except one will automatically be protected. United doesn't have to do anything to, to save guys like Colin Martin, Michael Seaton, Jalen Robinson, Connor Shinoski from, from being selected. Bill Hamid, however, is going to take up one of those 11 spots, and there's no way he's not on the list. He is probably the team's MVP this year. He might be the league goalkeeper of the year. Uh, he's getting national team call-ups. He's going to be protected. Uh, other guys we know will be be protected. Uh, Perry Kitchen, Steve Birnbaum, Luis Silva, Fabiana Spindola. I think it's safe to assume that Nick DeLeon will, will be protected. From yes, there, we... he, he's going to be protected, everyone. Stop thinking he won't. <laughs> I, I, I tend to agree with, with Ben's sentiment that uh, Nick DeLeon was a really important part to how Benny Ball worked when it was at, his be at its best this year, coming in from that right side or, or mixing it up on the left side at the end of the year. Um, Nick DeLeon is too important to this team. Uh, even if he was a little bit unsung and not producing at quite the level uh, we wanted to see this year, he he showed his worth in the playoffs and and I think throughout the season he'll be back and he will be protected. From there, I think it's a less of a sure thing for a lot of guys and we might see some surprises in there. Uh, first up, just to start at the top of the payroll, is Eddie Johnson, who may or may not be protected this year. Uh, he's on a designated player contract, a lot of money, um, That's which makes it a, a bigger risk for an expansion team to select him. They'll have to burn a designated player spot. And we know that NYCFC and Orlando City are both hunting for big-name international DPs. They're not looking at, you know, essentially threshold DPs like Eddie Johnson. They're looking to make more of a splash. That said, each from Florida, and Orlando might be looking for that local connection. 
Ben, what do you think? If we expose Eddie Johnson, what kind of risk is there that he's that he gets taken? And, and are you worried if he does get taken, given that he was a bench player at the end of the year? I mean, I think strategically the team probably should expose him if they're allowed to, based on the details of his contract. But I am worried that he might get taken, and most of my worry comes from the fact that if he gets taken, I don't know if the team is going is going to be willing or going to be able to go out and find a designated player level uh, player to replace Eddie Johnson. Um, and so I think there is a chance that he can integrate himself better this year. I, I mean, I don't know if it's very likely, but it's possible, sure. Um, but more I'm worried that if he gets selected, he might not be replaced. The rumblings I've seen from quotes from Ben Olsen, and who knows what those actually mean, but they they are they want they don't want to. There's not going to be a massive overhaul like there was last year. Hopefully, they're going to add some pieces this off season, but I don't think they're thinking that they're going to have to replace Eddie Johnson as well. Next name on my list is Bobby Boswell. He's the captain. He's probably MLS's defender of the year this year. He was vital to the team. He's on the wrong side of 31, though. He's pushing 32, I think. Is that right? Yeah, he'll turn 32 next March. So, yeah, he'll be 32 right at the start of the season. He's never been a fast guy, but I I almost think that he has to be protected. He He needs to be on the lock list, Jason, because with his performance and his longevity, he's he's been an every week, no injury kind of player his whole career. He's he's a great piece to build around if you're an expansion team. And I think United needs to be cognizant of that. And not only that, I mean, we, we've mentioned Eddie Johnson being from Florida, but so is Bobby Boswell. Um, and so uh, Orlando does not have, I think their only uh, potential center back is a 19 year old. And he's not even necessarily an out and out center back. So they definitely don't have that position filled at all. Um, if you're an expansion team, I imagine the priority beyond the designated players is going to be be good enough so that you don't get killed every game, which means focusing on in, you know your your defensive players have to be strong. Um, I think if we leave Boswell out there, he will get taken. Uh, he'll get taken fast. Uh, we won't even have that much time to uh, mourn the decision. It'll it'll be over fast. Um, I, I don't think there's any way he gets left out there. Um, he has missed, I think it was, three games in the last three years, and two of them were for a red card suspension. Um, <laughs> it's not like we're talking about a guy that gets injured. Um, it's not like we're talking about a guy that has any locker room issues. Um, he was made captain for a reason, and a lot of the other players on the team cited his his leadership and his uh, general impact on the room. I think he, he's one of the jokers on the team, so he kind of keeps, uh, keeps the team... Um, you know, in a good mood when they need to be sort of picked up a little bit. Um, I can't see a scenario in which United leaves him unprotected. Uh, Another guy on that back line who made a big impact this year and and also made the All-Star game with Bobby Boswell, Sean Franklin. Uh, This is a guy who is on a couple hundred thousand dollars a year right now. Uh, kind of a big contract for a fullback, especially in MLS. But he's shown his versatility. He changes up his forward runs from that back spot. He can play midfield. Uh, He can defend 
which is nice in a fullback, uh, both 1v1 and within the system. Ben, what do you think? Sean Franklin, should we use one of the 11 spots on him? Yes, I think he was key to the turnaround. I mean, yes, he costs a lot of money, but he's got another two, three, four good seasons in him. He's on the right side of 30 still. It's uh, only just. Yes, he it's is. It's only just, yes. But he's still got another two, three good, at least two or three good seasons in him. And I think he was just as important. I mean, he was an all-star. I think he was just as important, not just as important, but just almost as important as uh, Boswell, Park, Birnbaum, all of those players in DC United's defensive rejuvenation uh, this season. Um, I think if we had had Corbin Kemp as the outside backs or uh, instead of uh, Franklin and Kemp slash Corb, it would have been a much it would have been a different season. And so, well, don't forget Christian. We had him for a while too. I prefer to forget him. Here, I prefer to forget him. Yeah, my I can I agree with everything you say about Sean Franklin. My only other thought about him is that I think there's a less there there's still a significant risk that he'll be taken but I think it's a lesser risk than with either a center back or a more attacking player because fullbacks are not a position where teams, especially uh, expansion teams, want to dedicate cap space. Aren't you supposed to write an article about that? Yeah, I was, and I have a six-month-old, so shut up. (laughs) And And so I think... And and anyway, the expansion draft's not not happening yet. I still have time to write the article. So mm-hmm. again, sure. shut okay. up. Again, shut up. Uh, but I think Sean Franklin, there's there's less of a risk of him actually being taken by Orlando or New York. Um, that said, you know I've been wrong about everything else in the playoffs so far. So maybe my my streak will continue on to the expansion draft. Uh. Another guy, a guy who is on the wrong side of 30, but has been was also enormously important for DC United this year, Chris Rolfe, who we saw the difference he made when he came in against New York and when he started against New York in the playoffs. Uh, he has a great understanding with everyone on the field when he's out there, really no matter who's on the field or and no matter what position he's playing. He's just a really good player and a really smart player on the field. And he's a finisher, and he's a chance creator, and he's really, really important. Jason, just like Bobby Boswell, is there is there a big risk of Rolf being taken if he's exposed, and should we use one of the spots to protect him? Uh, I do think he should be protected. Um, I think it's, it's the same situation as with Boswell. Teams are going to take Chris Rolf if he's available. Um, he can play in a lot of different systems. He can play a lot of different positions. Um, so you, you, even if teams are not necessarily sure what they're going to do uh, as far as their formation and all that stuff, um, they can take him knowing that he can fit into all these different looks. Um, if Jason Christ wants to bring back the, the diamond that, that he started in RSL, uh, Rolf can play a couple different roles there. If I've heard that Orlando City wants to play a four-two-three-one, Rolf can play a lot of different spots there. So... Um, I think there's really almost no chance that he stays on the team if if he's left unprotected, and he's at a little. Least, what? At the very least, one of the teams will see him, select him, and trade him. 
Right, which which is another danger with with um, really any anyone we leave out there that's a, a big well known quantity. Fr- Franklin would be the same way. Um, that's fair. That you know the team that we, we don't know what kind of um, games and shenanigans are going to get go on here, especially on Orlando side where there's not any um, the the people there haven't had any connection to MLS before. At least with Jason Christ, there's a previous. Um, uh, a back history. He didn't run RSL's expansion draft, but we have an idea of what his way of thinking is. Um, those guys might be the kind of guys that are saying, you know, we're going to draft this guy purely as a uh, bargaining chip. We've seen it happen with Montreal. Mm-hmm. It happened with, um, I think, RSL also um, uh, engaged in that, but but that was while Jason Christ was still a player. Um, so, yep. Then, then, then there's the Rod Diachenko stuff, where where <laughs> they knew we were going to trade back for him. Or Troy Perkins. What now? Or Troy Perkins. It's a little different situation, but they had us over the barrel for Troy Perkins. Yeah, Philadelphia. That was when he was coming back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And also, we were uh, badly overrating him. It turned out. <laughs> um, sorry, that. But uh, but with with Rolf, it's it's more or less a if you leave him unprotected, he's gone. Um, so for United to do that they would have to be deciding uh, more or less deciding that he's probably on his way and it's best to just move on without him and i think we saw that he makes us he makes us a better team um and we we also saw in the playoffs that Olsen was willing to play him as a second forward uh with with Silva injured and with Johnson having been hospitalized we've seen him play on the left a lot uh his previous career he played a lot on the right so i think the the importance of Rolf can't really be understated. He's not our most important player, but he's definitely up there as far as being that extra element of trickery in our in, in, in the attack. And uh, if he was left unprotected, it would be pretty frustrating. And, and I think um, we've even seen indications. Um, Ryan Keeper posted a link today that his uh, Rolf's apartment complex or, or whatever it is, a condos or, or whatever kind of building that is, uh, actually posted a Q&A with Chris Rolfe about living in the area. Um, so it's not like the guy is, is thinking that he's gone anytime soon. He's putting down roots. So I get the feeling that he's probably going to be protected, and that's the right thing to do. Next guy up on the list, uh, the one and only Chris Pontius. I say the one and only. Of course, there's another famous Chris Pontius out there. <laughs> uh, Chris Pontius, who spent most of this year injured and came on, and we scored a couple of goals for United. Uh, late on, obviously with the injury, his production in what passed in 2012, he was a best 11 player in the league. Uh, I'm convinced that if he's exposed, he will be taken by somebody because why the hell wouldn't you take him? Especially since the league is paying part of his salary on retention funds. So it seems like not all of his salary is actually hitting the salary cap. Um, whatever the machinations of those are. Ben, where do you come down on Party Boy? It pains me. It's sad. Whenever he leaves, I will be I will be very hurt. But I th- I mean it, it comes down to basically do you keep Rolf or do you keep Pontius? Do you protect you have to protect basically you have to protect one or the other. And I I lean towards protecting Rolf and not Pontius, and it tears me up to say so. But I think oh, see I have them both so, on my list. Well, who, I have them both protected on my list. Oh, but you're leaving off like Kemp or Korb or somebody. Which I'm probably leaving makes off both Kemp and Korb. Which probably makes more sense overall, but... So why don't you do that? <laughs> I mean, I could. I could. 
I probably should, but at least in my post before I didn't, so I'm going to stick with it for now for internal consistency's sake and for argument's Way sake. Way to be stubborn. Chris, Chris, uh, Chris Pontius is injury-prone, and we uh, he showed well for a fourth of a season, uh, but not obviously not as good as in 2012, and who knows when... His next injury. His next injury is with his legs again. Not that might be the last one, and so especially with the amount of money he's being paid, I think you take the risk and leave him exposed. All right, Jason. I know this is a name that you are protecting. That that not a lot of people had really given any thought to using one of the eleven spots on, and that's Kofi Opare, who really only played for United outside of the league this year. He played in Champions League and he played. Uh, I think he played in that loss in the Open Cup in Rochester. No, he wasn't here yet. Oh, he wasn't here yet. So, yeah, really only in Champions League then. Um, and and so he's very much a reserve for us, and, and it's not clear that he would even be ahead of Jeff Park, who we're not talking about because he was injured all year, and and we don't think anyone's going to take a flyer on Jeff Park. I, I don't know. You guys speak up if you think New York or Orlando would take Jeff Park in this, but... Jason, you are protecting Kofi Opare on your list. Yeah, and, and it's it's definitely a there's a sort of a game of chicken happening in there, but um, my thinking is basically that Opare is a player that we haven't seen a lot of, but that every time he played for the Galaxy, he looked like the clear uh, the, the Galaxy have a ton of center backs, and he looked like the clear best of their their young center back group. Um, especially when A.J. De La Garza was used as a right back. Um, Opari looked head and shoulders above Tommy Meyer. Uh, he's a lot better than Leonardo. Um, and he's still young. He's fast. Um, he, he has shown some organizational ability. And he's not making a lot of money. And all of those things add up to um, a player that a lot of other teams would really love to get their hands on. Um, a lot of other teams would use him as a starter right now, and, and not just bad teams, but um, playoff teams. Um, yeah, there's a reason United, with L.A. over a roster spot for Sasha Kleschen, there's a reason United were able to say, okay, give us Sopare, because L.A. was desperate, and United managed to win a really good bargain. And, and um, Bruce Arena was very unhappy with, with the fact that, mm-hmm. that not only was he, I mean, he was on, on, mainly he was unhappy because they didn't get questioned. They thought they were going to, and then and, uh, something with the league, uh, you know, the, the behind the curtain, something went wrong, and, and L.A. was basically told, no, told no, you can't have him. Um, but Arena was also upset because they'd given up something that they knew was good um, it, it, to, 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 you know, allow that transaction to happen. Um, and... I can't see going forward with um, – we've done this before where we've had one or two good center backs and then we go into the season and that's all we've got. And then all of a sudden someone gets hurt, someone gets suspended, and then we, we have, you know, we're playing a right back in central defense, which we did a bunch of times in the past, or, or we're playing someone that's clearly not ready for, for that role. Um, so for, for me, it's, it's a position where if you're not good – you're probably not going to make the playoffs. It's sort of a disqualifying problem. It's it's why Portland did not make the playoffs. Um, it's not you know Portland's front six is is as good as it gets 
it's an MLS, but they couldn't defend a team consisting of the three of us and our eight soccer playingist readers. Um, we, we could get a goal against the, the Portland Timbers Central Defense this year. Um, and also, probably, they'd probably have someone red carded too because they do something dumb. Um, <laughs> so, just, just in general, it, it's a bad policy to only have, for us to have Oswell and Fernbaum and then all of a sudden be in a, in a bad spot. Uh, it's not a good policy in my book. And, and whenever we get a, another Bupare or Burnbaum level center back, um, you look around the league and you see a lot of teams that are fielding guys that really aren't that great. Uh, it's a, in central defense, they're just trying to get by and hide that player. We don't have to be one of those teams. You know, L.A. keeps a stockpile of center backs for a reason. Uh, Houston, under Dom Kinnear, has, up until this season, tried to keep as many good center backs on their roster as they could. And it's for, it, it's, you give yourself a chance to win games by, by having that position filled and, and having it be deep. Um, where, even if you're not not at your best, if you're trying to get out not letting up big chances. And so I think the combination of his age, um, his athleticism as a center back, and, and the fact that just because we haven't seen a lot of him, it doesn't mean he's bad or, or that there's anything wrong with him. And I think that's the main hang-up a lot of people have is like, well, he's not playing, so therefore it's a bad idea. But we're not trying to protect our starting 11. We're trying to protect the 11 most valuable players to us going forward. And I think his youth helps um, push him ahead of some other guys and also his low salary. Uh, there's no way around that. All right. I'm going to give you two ga- two names now, Ben, partly because we need to speed up and partly because these two are, are really connected and not just by the fact that their last names both start with K. Chris Corb and Taylor Kemp, a couple of fullbacks, a couple, uh, couple of guys who have a lot of pace, have some quality going forward. Um, but also some question marks about them. So are you protecting either of them? I mean, in my piece, I protected Taylor Kemp. He is he was the starter down the stretch. Um, even when Cor- I mean, Corp was hurt initially, but when he got healthy, uh, Taylor Kemp still started. And let's play a little game here just for a sec. How old do you think Chris Corb is? Well, he's 27, isn't he? Yes, he's 27. He's... He's no longer a young player that we all think he is. Uh, that wasn't much of a game. Well, no. I, <laughs> You're I playing this game with the wrong crowd, Ben. Well, <laughs> fine, fine. I, just, I feel like a lot of people think he's younger than he is, but he's, yeah, he's 27 now. He's going to be 28 next season. Um, he's he's good player, he's good, reserved to have. We've always, basically like the last couple of off-seasons, we've wanted Chris Corb to be a reserve to sign somebody who pushes him to the bench, and if Taylor, if Taylor Kemp can be that person, that's great. And so I think, for those reasons, you take Taylor Kemp over Chris Corb. Alright. Uh, one last domestic player, I guess, to talk about is Davy Arnault. We all know how vital he was to the team this year. Uh, United to win a game when he wasn't starting at central midfield. Um, But there's only 11 spots on the protected list, and Davey Arnaud is 34, going to be 35 before too much longer, as typically happens when you turn 34. Jason, can you find room for him on your protected list, or are you chancing it? Uh, I I, I don't like it, but you kind of have to leave him out there. Um, at his age and his salary number, 
I, I strategically, I don't think the other teams are going to take him. Um, and if they want to, if their thought is, well, let's build a winner now in the short term and, you know, be in the playoff race, um, then so be it. Uh, if they decide that he's the guy that can help them actually field a competitive team next season, then um, it's not a, it's not, I, no one wants Dave Yarner to leave, I don't think. I mean, I'm sure we had a couple of no votes, but we probably had some Metro Stars no, just in general. Um, we, we had a no vote against uh, Steve Birnbaum almost immediately. Um, so that's the, the kind of voters that we're getting wandering in. Uh, either that or just people that are having a bad day. I don't know what's going on. Um, but uh, w- with our note, I mean, if he was younger, it would be a different story. But uh, he'll be 35 in the middle of next season. And midfield, midfielders don't generally keep playing at their best at 35. You don't see that very often. Um, for every guy that, like Precky that played into his 40s, there's like 600 or 1,000 uh, MLS players that did not last that long. And we already just got burned only last year with Di Rosario going from looking for all the world like he could play until he was 40 to, you know, having a terrible year. And really now in Toronto, he gets used it for 20 minutes at a time at the most. Um, so... The, the cliff, the physical cliff for a, for a player comes sort of out of nowhere, and it happen, It can happen very fast, and I hope I hope Arnaud uh, doesn't have it happen anytime soon. I hope he sticks around, but I can't see protecting him uh, at, at his age at this point. Yeah, I think that's right, especially since one of the 11 spots has to go to an international player, and at this point, we all know it's going to be Samuel Incombe. It's not going to be Kyle Porter. We don't have to debate this. We don't have to discuss Imagine he would even ask to be left unprotected just so that he could get his career going a little more, get some more games somewhere. Yeah, that makes that makes some sense. Uh, Kyle Porter, he's he's an interesting player, but he's he he hasn't shown enough quality to to use one of these eleven spots. And and similar things go for a lot of guys that we like uh, around here: Jared Jeffrey, Connor Doyle, and and others who just don't merit. Uh, a spot in in on that eleven man list. Um, we are running really late to bring Alicia on, but I promised a a cake or death segment. So very quickly, one word answers. A little bit of lightning round here. Ben, Davey or no cake or death? Cake. Jason. Cake. Cake. It's unanimous. Nana Atacora. Cake or death? Jason. Death. Or death. Um, death. It's again unanimous. And these next two are both going to be cake. Birnbaum and Boswell. Double cake. cake. Yeah. Cake, cake. cake inside of a pie. Cake, cake, cake. Pie inside of a cake stacked on another pie inside of a cake. I thought we should have answers. We will be right back with Alicia Rodriguez from the Goat Parade to talk about the dispersal draft and the end of her beloved goats. So stick around. This is Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. Welcome back to Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. We are now joined by Alicia Rodriguez from thegoatparade.com to help us figure out this whole dispersal draft. And, and she's being a very good sport because the players being dispersed are her beloved goats. Uh, Shivas USA, as you all know, if you're listening to this show, are no more. And we basically get to pick over the remains of their roster and, and take what players we want. So, Alicia, thanks for coming on the show. 
my pleasure. I, I don't know if you know I'll, I'll really be in demand much after this, so I may as well take advantage of it while I can. You know. <laughs> well, since we have you here, what are you drinking tonight? Uh, sparkling water. I know that you know I, I'm sticking with my uh, standard of you know non-alcoholic fare, but I, I got some bubbles in it this time, so okay. Well, that's a, little bit. that's a little more interesting than in your past appearances on the show. Sure. Uh, I, I guess we should just get right into it. DC United will be selecting fourth uh, in in this dispersal draft. Um, so I, I guess we'll just start naming players, and you can say whether you think they're they should go higher, lower. Um, you think they'll be on the board when United are, are up to draft. First up, the the big prize in in this, and especially since Cubo Torres is not going to be available through the draft. He's going to be allocated by some other means. Coin flip, blind draw, possibly 52-card pickup. We don't Directly know. Directly to the galaxy. <laughs> it's all in play. It's all in play. So, so the big prize in this one is going to be Dan Kennedy. Um, is there any chance he is still on the board at number four? I think there's a chance because he makes a fair amount for a goalkeeper um, and, you know, you only need so many goalkeepers on a team. And if, and if a team has an... Right. <laughs> Philadelphia accepted, of course. Um, but, you know, if you have an established starter, then you may not really want to go down that route. Um, my inclination is that he probably won't be on the board uh, by the time number four ro- rolls around. But, again, you never know. And, you know, with goalkeepers, you just... Who knows how it's going to go and who knows what, um, you know, how, how the... I mean, since this is a unique draft, I mean, of course, there has has been one of these before in MLS history, but they don't come around very often, so it's kind of hard to know what we're going to expect when, when the teams actually get to picking. Yeah, I, I, I don't expect him to be on, on the board. At the very least, I think somebody like FC Dallas or NYCFC who are picking first and second, one of them will take him even if they don't need him because they'll, work, they'll have worked out a trade beforehand um, because the, the actual draft selections are not... The, the positions in the draft are not tradable, but that doesn't mean you can't pick up the phone and call another GM and say, hey, what would you give me if I selected this guy? Yeah, exactly. I mean, it, if you're not really that interested in other players on the team and you want a really good asset, I mean, he's he you know he's about as good as they get. So, yeah, I mean, it, won't, it would not be surprising in the least if they did that. I'm not sure about FC Dallas doing that. They have the top pick since they already have kind of a goalkeeping quagmire to begin with, with these two guys um, on their team. But yeah, it, as far as I mean, New York City FC could choose him and, and maybe even choose to keep him. They have Josh Saunders, but uh, they could have some sort of battle to see which one of them sort of emerges. But yeah, I agree that um, at the very least, he's probably going to be a trade chip at the, at the top of the order. Alright, next guy on my list is somebody you and I talked about last offseason when we mooted out a trade of the, the first overall draft pick in, in the MLS Super Draft last year. And we were going to, hey, I think the trade we worked out is I was going to give you the number one pick. You were going to give me a pick later in the first round, a whole big pile of allocation money. And a player, I pretended I selected by throwing a dart at a board, but really I looked at your roster and picked a guy that I wanted, and that's Marky Delgado, who's a young guy. He's a homegrown player, uh, and and he can play really anywhere on the flanks, uh, midfield or or fullback. Um, 
and he he seems to be getting more and more in demand the the closer we get to the actual dispersal draft, despite the fact that he's ended the last two years uh, on the shelf with knee injuries. Yeah, I mean, I I don't want to oversell the knee problems. I mean, he's had meniscus surgeries the last two years. So it's been the kind of thing that if it had happened during the se- like in the middle of the season, he'd be out for about six weeks and you know probably be back in the lineup pretty quickly. But the timing of it was that he was you know he ended up finishing the season with this these minor surgeries two years in a row. I mean, I suppose if it happens three years in a row, then you know there's definitely a trend here and it's something to to be concerned about. But it could be coincidental. Um, yeah, I mean, like you said, he's even played in the middle of the midfield. I mean, I wouldn't necessarily say that he's going to supplant, uh, you know, a starting midfielder for D.C. necessarily in the center of the park. But, yeah, he's played uh, both fullback positions. He's played um, both flank positions in the midfield. He has played in the center as well. So he's he's really versatile. And he was completely thrown into the fire in 2013. Um, you know, he signed with the team the year before. Only got on the field once, and then last season he got a ton of minutes. Um, it, you know, on a, in a very dysfunctional, terrible situation, and really came out pretty well in the whole in the whole thing. And I think he has a ton of potential. He's still really young; he's only 19. Um, he looks pretty slight. I think he probably could stand to bulk up a little bit more. But I've been pleasantly surprised at his development in two really tough seasons. Um, you know, I, I think he's continuing to grow and to show himself as a as a MLS player, and it stands to reason that if he ends up in a situation in which he can actually get good, stable coaching, you know, be in a situation that's maybe more uh, kind of MLS standard and not substandard, then that should help his development all the more. And and I think there's plenty of reason why people are pretty high on him overall in you know sort of the the pre-draft coverage, I suppose. All right, another guy I know you expect to be taken pretty early is is Andrew Jean Baptiste, another guy who's not real old. I think early twenties, right, twenty two or so. Yep. Um, he's a center back who who I guess has has a lot of room to grow. Yeah, I I think the the big there's two big knocks on him potentially. One is that there's been sort of whispers about sort of his mentality and you know is he really mature enough to be a a good pro in this league, and can he kind of get his act together in that respect? Um, and the other thing has been his, his injury history. I mean, he was hurt for most of this past season, and I think that that, you know, weakens his kind of looking back on a season overall with Chivas. Um, and I think to some extent that that's not entirely fair because, I mean, you get hurt, what are you going to do? I mean, you really can't necessarily fault a player for getting hurt. But I do think that there's sort of that risk-reward with him. He's young. He's big, he has plenty of potential, but he's already been on two teams, and the returns have been sort of lukewarm, so you have to wonder if he's going to be able to get his head straight and get it all together. He might. He might turn out to be you know, a terrific player in a couple of years, and, and you know, this might just be a little blip in his uh, development, but there's a little bit of concern, but I think the, the upside is going to attract at least one team to, uh, to take a chance on him. All right, the last guy I, I really want to talk about um, is is somebody who whose game on the field is is surpassed really by his hair game, and we need more guys like that in MLS. And and it's not to say that his hair is necessarily good, because it's not. But it is. Would you go so far say it's great? 
it is great. It's not good, but it, it, it's not it. It is great in the sense that it is different, and different is good when it comes to hair in MLS because we have too many straightforward haircuts, and this is anything. But I'm talking about Thomas McNamara, uh, a midfielder, a young guy who who played really well for Shivas USA this year before going down with an ACL injury, which certainly will make teams think twice about about taking him. Um, Leisha, what can you tell us about McNamara? Yeah, I was uh, pretty impressed with the, his time on the field before the ACL injury. Um, you know, he, he's kind of a wide-body player. He doesn't have a ton of speed, so I think that as long as his knee isn't completely bulky, I think he'll probably be fine coming out of this. I mean, as long as the rehab went fine, I don't necessarily think it's going to really set him back as far as his ability on the field. Um, you know, he kind of is one of those guys who doesn't look like he's going to be very skillful, and he turns out to be quite a bit more skillful than, than you would expect. With Chivas, he he started up as a forward. I mean, I think his true position is probably either kind of in the hole or as an attacking midfielder. He started as a forward with Chivas and then um, ended up having to play much further back in more of a holding role. Um, because of the circumstances of, of one game, game in particular where uh, the defensive midfielder picked up a red card and he was sort of the guy who was left to, to step up. And he did pretty well. Um, you know, so I think he has kind of a skill set that could potentially um, show considerable versatility, versatility for him as well. You know, he may be able to develop into a few different roles over time. And, you know, he was only around for a very short time that we got to see him on the field, so you never quite know. Again, risk-reward, all that sort of thing. But I think he's definitely going to get picked by somebody, and I think he could fit in on quite a few teams around this league for sure. Jason, anybody you have your uh, your eye on that you, you want to learn a little bit more about? Uh, well, now that, now that McNamara is uh, off the board, uh, so to speak, um, I guess I, I'm I'm curious, not necessarily um, about him coming to DC, but just in general, um, Oswaldo Minda uh, went to the World Cup uh, for Ecuador and actually played, and yet I don't see anyone talking about him in in this draft. He, his salary cap or his salary number wasn't even that high as well. Um, no one seems to be interested, though. Uh, what's what's happening with him? I think the only complication for Mendez's situation is that he's out of contract. I, I know for certain I interviewed him, and he said he was on a contract at the end of this, this year. I assume he's still eligible as far as his rights are concerned. If he, he said he was interested in coming back to MLS, so I'm guessing he's in the mix as far as player rights, or if maybe not for the dispersal draft, then certainly in the re-entry draft I think he'd be eligible for. Um, but at any rate, yeah, I mean, I... I think he's the kind of player that if he's on your team, you love him, and if he's on the other team, you can't stand him. You think he's, you know, a, a hack artist and is terrible. I think he's been one of the most underrated players on Chivas. Um, well, certainly the last three years, he showed considerable quality on a team that didn't have very much quality at all. I'd say this past year he was probably top three, top four talent overall on the team. And again, I realize with Chivas that's kind of a relative statement, but I really think that he was, uh, he's was he been an outstanding player over three years. He's a destroyer. He's not going to be somebody who's going to be able to you know, play the pretty passes around the park. But if you need someone who 
you know, needs to win the ball in the midfield, who needs to disrupt play, who's willing to pick up the yellow cards. And to be fair, he's led the league in yellow cards two out of his three seasons, but he's only picked up one red card in that whole span. So that's kind of an indication that he's smart enough that he's not picking up stupid red cards here and there, you know, all over the place. Um, you know, I think he could do a lot worse than Minda, and, and I think the World Cup probably helped his cause a little bit, but even so, I still think he, he remains really underrated overall. Uh, the, the other player I really um, I thought about just now looking at my uh, I'm, I've got a whole post coming about it and I've got my list of uh, guys I haven't written anything about yet um, we were just talking about uh, potential potentially losing one of our left backs uh, in the expansion draft and Donnie Toya played there a lot this year for Chivas and he's, he's really young he's on like the lowest salary you could possibly get paid in MLS um, is is he someone that was just there because there were no other options, or or did he show some signs that he's going to stick in MLS uh, next year? Yeah, I mean, it started out that he was the only one left. I mean, he pretty much there was a point where um, left backs went down, and then uh, Jean Baptiste played over in left back, kind of in a pinch, and he went down, and so Toya was the only person left really, and um, he stepped up, and then he took over. You know, I think, relatively speaking, he's probably not starter caliber on mm, just about every other MLS team, and you know, maybe one or two other teams, probably. I think he's probably good depth, though, and I think the fact that he uh, has is learning the position of fullback, and he also has this experience as a midfielder, you know, as a, as a winger um, already, you know, I think that there's, again, I keep saying potential, but I do think that there's a lot of potential with him, and... He was definitely the surprise of the of the season for for Chivas. He, I mean, there were no expectations. I honestly didn't really think he'd get very many minutes at all. And he ended up, you know, once he got in the position, he ended up keeping it. He he locked it down for the rest of the season. And I think that that there's something to be said for that. Um, you know, it, again, he's he's learning. He's not perfect at the position, but he's young enough and. He showed a lot of strides in you know year one of this left back experiment that I think that there's you know certainly reason to um, you know take him if you're not really sure on what if there's any other player that you're really that keen on and at the very least you can at least send him to USL Pro for another season or two of you know seasoning have him as depth on your roster and and kind of see where he goes from here. Ben, one player that I feel like DC United fans have been interested in for a number of years now has been Marvin Chavez. And especially now that he doesn't take up an international spot, as far as I know at least. Uh, how did he perform with Chivas this year? And do you think he's going to get taken early, mid, at all in the uh, in the expansion draft? I think there's a good chance he'll get taken, but unlike these other players who have been sort of, you know, stumping for it, it sounds like, I'm not as keen on Chavez, to be perfectly honest. Um, his debut for Chivas USA came in May. He was traded from Colorado, which I think he might have gotten a few minutes, if that, with them after he went to them. He scored two goals in that game against Colorado. It was like a revenge game, obviously. Uh, won the game, you know, it was a great performance. Then he went off to the World Cup. He played in the World Cup. Um, you know, so there's something to be said for that. Um, but he really only had about three good games, I would say, uh, for Chivas USA this year. And I think he's entering a stage in his career where the speed is starting to go a little bit. 
he's never been particularly productive, um, you know, as far as goals and assists. And, you know, I'm just not sure that he's able to diversify his game enough to stay relevant in this league. I mean, it's possible he could, but I wouldn't necessarily be as as high up on him as, as a lot of these other, well, not a lot, some of these other players. And as far as the, you know, he's got more experience in MLS than just about anybody on the roster. But even with that, I think that's probably his biggest sell, selling point. And as far as his skills are concerned, I see probably diminishing returns uh, in the coming seasons. I think that's all of our dispersal draft questions. Alicia, do you have time to stick around and, and talk a little bit about the, the playoffs as they continue without either of our teams? Uh, sure, yeah. All right. I, I just figured we'd go through real quick and just say a few words on, on each of them. We'll start out here in the East uh, where, where the Red Bulls are taking on the Revolution. And let's just say the kind of the, the big matchup or the big kind of fulcrum that the the series will turn on. For me, it's it's Lee Wynn versus the duo of Dax McCarty and Eric Alexander. Lee Wynn is the reason everyone has been making Zoolander references about the Revs for so long. They're so hot right now. So hot right now. And and Lee Wynn is has been the driving force of their attack. Jermaine Jones has been a huge part of it, but but it really begins and ends with with whether Wynn is able to play his game. And and I think the Red Bulls are going to try to stop that with, with their midfield. They've been gumming up the works for anybody who wants to play through the middle against them. So so that's where I think this one's going to turn. Jason, what do you think? Yeah, that, that more or less sounds sounds correct to me. I think New England really needs to make sure that they don't do what, what United did wrong, which was to allow New York to get the ball wide um, and isolate the, the fullbacks because... Chris Tierney, uh, if, if Taylor Kemp can't keep up for pace with Lloyd Sam, then Chris Tierney is not even going to try. He's just going to sort of stand there and watch him run away because there's no point in someone like Tierney running after. I know I, I was a slow player myself. Uh, when the passengers <laughs> went past you and you can't foul them, you just sort of let them go and hope for the best. Um, and then on the other side, obviously, it's it's if Andrew Farrell is back healthy, uh, which is a different problem um, for the Revs, uh, Thierry Henry is, is on the other side, and that's clearly going to be an issue. Um, but uh, on the other side of that, I wonder if Jermaine Jones's uh, physicality isn't going to um, be kind of an underrated factor because I think with Loyandula and Dax McCarty, uh, there's two guys that he can push around, and Jermaine Jones likes to push people around in general, so I think he's going to be uh, out there really uh, throwing himself into people and, and uh, being generally provocative as he likes to do, and, and that... that since we're not rooted, we're we're clearly rooting against the Red Bulls. Uh, that will, that will be fun to see. It will, it will probably make me laugh at some point. That actually makes me think. Now I want to see a video produced by the Revs media team of Jermaine Jones just throwing people around on the tee up there in Boston and just hopping on the green line and like knocking three people off the train. I I just want to see that. I think it would be delightful. Alicia, where do you think this series is going to turn? You know, I think it's going to be a shootout probably. Um... You know, because both both teams have really pretty strong uh, attacks and their defenses are pretty weak, relatively speaking. Um, I think the Red Bulls are more apt to make like a really big gaff, a you know red card, drawing a red card or something at a Remember, you know, pretty big Roy time. Remember, will not be on the field. I know he won't be, but I still think that 
if Armando makes it on the field, that's that's going to be a pretty tricky proposition. And even yeah. they're starting, um, you know, center backs. I think they're pretty good, but you know they can be had as well. Um, but that said, I still think that the Red Bulls probably have a little bit of an edge uh, coming into it, uh, just because they they've been a team a little bit longer and there's a little more um, veteran kind of. Uh, stability there with them, it seems like, than, than it does with the Revs. But uh, I think it's going to be a really close series for sure. All right, Ben, what's the deciding point in in this series for you? I think the deciding point is Ibrahim Sakaya gets a red card. Lee Wynn scores the free kick off of that red card in the second leg and puts the New England Revolution through to the MLS Cup. So you're just fast-forwarding past this week and, and going yes. straight to the yes. second leg. Okay, yes. gotcha. I'm summarizing. <laughs> you are giving exactly as much time as ESPN will on SportsCenter. <laughs> they will show the free kick in the top ten, and that will be all they have to say on SportsCenter about this series. That is as much as I care about the Red Bulls. All right, let's turn our attention out west. Where, where the Galaxy will host the Sounders in, in the first leg of this one. Uh, Jason, what are your thoughts on, on this series? Uh, it's going to be really interesting because um, a lot of it to me comes down to whether Seattle can... What we saw last week, or it feels like an agent to do this international break, but we saw in the last leg um, where L.A. just ripped RSL apart. Um, if you don't cut the field in half on LA and you allow them to pick where they get to play, it's, you're going to have uh, you're going to have a terrible, terrible day. And uh, in the end, uh, I think Seattle's really got a challenge on their hands playing their four-four-two they always play and trying to slice the field in half and not let Donovan and Robbie Rogers get a lot of the ball. Um, if 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 LA has Baggio Husidic and Dan Gargan trying to come forward and attack then Seattle's probably done the job really well. But if they can't, if Seattle can't force that on them, then L.A. is going to, I would think, um, have a really distinct advantage, especially with Osvaldo Alonso possibly uh, having an injury. Um, I think the combination of those two things could make the first leg really difficult for Seattle. And we might see them do what they did uh, against Dallas, which uh, in spite of Siggy Schmidt saying that they were always going to play to win and score goals, uh, they at home just decided to sit back and see if they could hold Dallas to a shutout. And they, they did it, but per- perhaps only because Oscar Pereja made some uh, some decisions that I didn't like. If anyone was following me on Twitter, I must have said Andres Escobar like 600 times during that game. Um, but, uh, yeah, C- Seattle kind of did something uh, that, that maybe is common in, in the Pacific Northwest. Uh, we, we had um, Caleb Porter go hyper-defensive and just wait for United last year to make some mistakes, and uh, Schmidt sort of did the same thing. He just said, let's sit on this. We have the away goal, so as long as they don't score, we're fine. Uh, and they got away with it, and they might do that again in L.A. I don't think it's a good idea. I don't think that they can hold L.A. to a 0-0. Um, I think they have to go out and engage, but I'm not sure they will, especially if Alonso is hurt. I, I, if, if he's out, they pretty much have to – Dempsey and Martins have to score some goals, more than one probably in that game for them to still have a chance. What was interesting about both Seattle and L.A. In, in the first round of the playoffs was in this year when everyone's talking about how successful the away goals rule has been in opening up play, 
both series in the Western Conference semifinals kind of showed the opposite of that. Seattle got their road goal and packed it in at home. L.A. went on the road to, to RSL, and neither team really played for a goal there. So you, you, you see just this kind of conservatism that you would expect in you know East Coast teams that, that are a little bit older and more stayed, not in the wide open West, uh, where you have high-scoring teams like Dallas, L.A., Seattle. But we might see more of that kind of chess-playing, tactical purity uh, in this one, which would be a shame because these are two really fun teams to watch. Uh, Alicia, what do you think? Uh, could we see a little bit more openness in this one, see a shootout like you called for in the East? Uh, I'm going to go with the sort of the consensus so far, and I think it's going to be really tight. Um, you know, because what Jason said with the injury of, to Alonzo, you know, they're going to play a little more cautiously. I think there's a rivalry of sorts between Siggy and, and Bruce Arena. I mean, they've both won titles, but Bruce has the edge, you know, overall in, in MLS and against Siggy in, in particular. Um, and Siggy sometimes psychs himself out a little bit with some of his selections in the playoffs. So I think it's going to be very cautious. And I think I think there's going to be times when both teams are going to try to play, but their defenses are really just going to be stout, and they're just gonna that's going to be the priority. So I think it's going to be a squeaker. I really think it's going to come down to you know one goal. It could be a very contentious you know play or penalty or moment that that kind of flips the series. And um, yeah, I think it's going to be. I mean, that sounds pretty pat to have kind of opposite, uh, you know, projections for the two series. But I, I do really see, um, you know, the, the Western series being very tight and, and these two teams really not having very much between them in the end. Well, I think that that's backed up by the the regular season ending home-and-home home exchange between the two of them. They drew uh, one of the games, and the, the second game was decided by a 75th minute substitution. Um, mm -hmm. And and I almost think that Siggy Schmidt winning that tactical chess match bodes better for the Galaxy because now Arena knows what what the change of pace Schmidt wants to bring on is and he's going to be able to adjust for that. Ben, what do you think? Do you, Are, are you going to make it unanimous and, and make this uh, a series for the tactical purists among us or do you think that this one will be a little bit more fun for your guys like Taylor Twellman to call? I mean, I think, it'll, I think it will be a little more fun. I think, for whatever reason, I think that, especially if Osvaldo Alonso is not able to play, I think L.A. has a chance to just run away with this. Uh, I think they kind of underperformed uh, in the home-and-home uh, -home series at the, at the end of the season, and getting uh, Robbie Keane back from uh, the uh, Ireland national team even though he's under a little bit of a cloud of controversy right now. Uh, I think having all of their players at full strength, I think that they can, at their best, I think they can just put Seattle away, even with Dempsey and Obafemi Martins up top. So it pains me to say it, but I think that L.A. is going to come out of, is going to win the first game, and I think they're going to come out of the West, even though I'm jumping forward again. You just you're you're impatient down there. I thought things were supposed to be slower paced and easier going down in the south. But, but you're I'm not right, originally you're I'm eager. not originally from the south. <laughs> My midwestern eagerness. I don't think that's a thing. No. 
<laughs> Before we get too off the rails, uh, Alicia, thanks for coming on the show this week. Uh, we really appreciate it. Why don't you tell our listeners where they can find you online in case any of them aren't already following you, which they all should be. Uh, well, thanks very much for having me on. And, uh, yeah, I'm on uh, Twitter and at Soccer Musings, uh, all one word. And, uh, yeah, you can read my work at The Goat Parade. All right, guys, find us at blackandredunited.com. We're on Twitter at blackandredu, at filibusterdcu. Send your hate mail to filibusterpodcast at gmail.com. We're on iTunes, we're on Stitcher, we're on SoundCloud. We're probably on other things as well. Uh, Tell a friend about us. We really appreciate it. Uh, That's it for this week. We'll talk to you next week. Uh, For Jason and Ben, I'm Adam. Say goodbye, Jason. Goodbye, Jason. Goodbye, Jason.